Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Mid-February here on the Mike Abadir Show. Co-host Gino Bacola bringing you in with the main man, Mike Abadir, uh, aboard like always. And Mike, you know, it's uh, it's supposed to be football season just ending. We're not supposed to have a bunch of football news, but uh, over the last couple weeks, there have been some major, major trades. And we have another one here, uh, Carson Wentz, who, if not for an injury he would have been your 2017 MVP he was having an unbelievable year he's regressed a little bit since but he's going to be traded back to the coach who he had the, the most success with so Frank Reich over in uh, in Indianapolis I think that's the big news we probably have to start with today what did you think about that big trade it's kind of funny because I was just on a uh, on another show actually the show of our uh upcoming guest, uh, Pop's show, Primetime Handicapper, he had me on yesterday. We were just talking at great lengths about Carson Wentz and about the Colts and about the Eagles and about uh, potential trades and where he may end up. And this is what I'll tell you. I know the Colts seem like an obvious fit because of what you just said in terms of him being reunited with a coach that he had tremendous success with in Philadelphia. Let me take you back, Gino to how I viewed him coming out of college, though, because I was never really high on him. I just kind of felt that he was playing at a in a conference that was all about offense and not about defense. And let's face it, the quality of competition is inferior to one of the bigger conferences. Not just that, but he was at a powerhouse. North Dakota State has won the championship at that level so many times in a row. They're always a contender. They always have the best pieces of any team in their conference, and so they usually storm through their conference and win the national title. With that said, to me, it didn't give me a lot of confidence to say, you know what, this is a guy that can just get plugged into the NFL and flourish. And I'll tell you what, I ate crow. I was dead wrong about Carson Wentz. He proved me wrong. His play proved me wrong, especially in that 2017 Super Bowl season up until the time where he got hurt. It's what he's done and what he's been like afterwards that gets me to think, you know what, I wonder if that good run was a fluky run and that the Eagles put him in the best position to succeed. His coaching staff put him in the best position to succeed, and he was able to take advantage of it, but that the league eventually always figures you out unless you are a top-tier quarterback. We see it all the time, right, Gino? Guys are ends up being being flukes all the time, having great first seasons. It's, I, it's kind of a mind-boggling thing, right? Because you think that the good season comes after three, season three, three, season four, season five. But NFL, it's a little bit different. It's it's kind of like the pitchers really figuring out a hitter. A great comparison. Or even more like a, like relief pitchers sometimes, yes. right? Like yes. Relief pitchers are have such incredible years. And then the next year, they're just eh. Like kind of mediocre. Exactly. Like totally exactly. run of the mill. You know, and it's sort of about... 
like getting a little confidence at the beginning of the year, getting put into some situations where you succeed. Hey, getting a little bit of a defensive luck, right? Like a little help there, like with some some hard hit balls or things that like a one of your defenders robs a home run. It's sort of the same thing, right? Maybe he he didn't get it. He got a couple great catches here and there. If you look back at the numbers, he really was. Um, he had like a touchdown, uh, a touchdown rate that was like incredible and very high and hard to sustain. He had like a, an insane, um, um, like efficiency on third down, which was very, which is very, very hard to sustain. Some some stats that are just normally going to come a little bit back down to earth, and when they do, you know, he just becomes another guy. Um, I, I I sort of agree with you, and I didn't love mentally what I saw from him last year. Um, when Hertz came into the mix and he just seemed like that got to him all year long. Like we didn't see a good version of Carson Wentz really all year. And, and I, I will, so with all that being said, I think if he's got some, some of that magic, um, that, Hey, keep in mind, the Eagles don't win the Super Bowl without him, right? He's not in the Super Bowl winning those games, but he, he put them in the position to win the Super Bowl, right? To, to, to get, a nice run through the playoffs. He he was one that led their team there throughout most of the year. So he's he's capable, and if he's ever going to find it, it's probably going to be in the spot where he goes now because, honestly, the Colts were a very good team. They were right in the game with Buffalo, and you, you think of them as probably the favorite again in that division, no doubt. I mean, the Texans, the Texans have struggled. Uh, the Titans are, are you know probably going to be right there in the mix with them. Uh, the Jags still feel like they're a few years away, so I, it's a good spot for him if he has anything left. Very good point, because it really is all about the fit. So I guess maybe another way to look at it is, is there a better fit out there for Carson Wentz than the Colts? The answer is probably no. Yeah, I'd agree. You know, I'd say this is probably the best Does that mean fit? it's going to work? I mean, it could be a total dumpster fire right like he could i was reading uh something that before that said like what were some of the the worst um like possible outcomes of this the guy's got injury history he could get hurt and miss the entire year and then they're put in a situation where they're probably having to play the the rookie what is isan you know you know who's their backup right i think um but if you just look at it from a the colts are a pretty well built roster they don't have a whole ton of weaknesses their defense was really good last year they started to run the ball very well towards the end of the year. It seems like they have some nice young kind of pieces and wide receivers that are on the improve. And I actually like their coaching staff a little bit too. So I think they're probably one of the better places. And then, I mean, obviously the all the added incentive that Reich and him know each other so well. I think if you were really going to pick a place to kind of put in any any quarterback that you would just need them to be replacement level, Indy would probably be one of the better spots. They got two, you know, nice, nice running backs in the backfield mm-hmm. that should take off a lot of the heat. Pittman's so going to be good receiver. A, yeah, I, I think that's that. Those are those are all pluses. You know, I know they've done a, a hell of a job trying to retool that offensive line. Um, I have to go back and look, but I don't think Philip Rivers was on his butt very often uh, for an old no, man, not especially. At all. Not at and all. he's not he's not a swift footed guy at all. I mean, he's kind of like like Marino towards the end where it pretty much just drop back and pass because they're not going to be able to do much more beyond that with the bad knees and everything. So I think, uh, I think in terms of an offensive scheme, obviously, uh, you know, you got a guy who put together a scheme you flourished in before. I expect the same thing. Now 
I wouldn't be at all shocked, though, going back to something that you mentioned uh, at the start, which was about his mental makeup. I think uh, I, love I think he showed us a lot in terms of his mental makeup and what he is as a teammate. Let me contrast that for you, Gino. The complete 180 of Carson Wentz, in my mind, I might be wrong, but in my mind, my observation, my perception is Fitz over in Miami. He didn't like being benched during a winning streak, during a hot streak, where mm-hmm. he was actually putting up yards and, and great totals for a rookie who's never played before. Right. But he took it in stride. He took it like a consummate professional. You know, he was the type that would put his arm around Tua and give him advice and well, help and put him in the best position was, to succeed. He was a great was teammate about well. it. I don't see Wentz like that. And he was playing well. Wentz he was, was playing, playing really well, man. That's that's a big difference. Like He was really productive. They were on a winning were, streak. They were they doing were good games. things. Yeah, they were winning games. He was playing well. And the team like was likes him. Wentz was... Um, he was just really in his own head. I think. A and by the way, by the way, uh, it's worth saying, the only way, as a Dolphins player, that you get behind having your starter get benched in the middle of a winning streak, and for all the veterans not to revolt, is if you have somebody like Fitz who did what he did, mm-hmm. and, and said, "Hey guys, don't worry about it." The move said, "I don't like it, but I am going to mentor this kid because he's going to be great." And he would instead of say, "Hey guys, come on, don't be stubborn. Don't like, don't get pissed off. Like, let's play. Let's play like we're supposed to play. I'm right here. You're like, I'm, I'm all. You know, he, that's how he was. And other guys go the opposite way. They start planting seeds in the heads of everybody else in the locker room. They become like a locker room cancer type person. Where you know they sort of like divide the locker room. It's either it's one side and then it's the other side. Um, I, I think the most incredible statistic." Or, or I guess, uh, yeah, I just like note that I saw all day about this trade now. And this was something that Field Yates uh, tweeted earlier. So we think about, you know, you get a first round pick, you need a quarterback. Oh, cool. I'll find a quarterback. I'm just going to have this guy, right? Franchise quarterback. I'll, I'll, I got a top, a first round pick or a top 10 pick or whatever. Someone will bring them right in. They'll be our guy forever for the next 10, 15, 20 years. They're going to be our Tom Brady, whatever yeah, it is. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> so yeah. with the trade of Carson Wentz, there will now not be one single quarterback that was drafted in the first round from the years of 2009 through 2016. So we're talking a seven-year span there. Not one quarterback drafted in the first round in between all of those years that is still with his original team. Out of 22, zero are left. And you can actually go through Every one of them, 2009, Stafford, Sanchez, Freeman. Stafford's with the Rams, Sanchez out, Freeman's retired. 2010, Bradford and Tebow, retired, Tebow, retired. 2011, Newton with the Patriots, Locker, retired, Gabbert's the backup for the Bucks. Ponder, out. 2012, Luck, retired, RG3, backup for the Ravens. Tannehill's with the Titans, Whedon's retired. 2013, Manuel's retired. 2014, Bortles, the backup for the Broncos. Johnny, Johnny Manziel, out. Bridgewater plays for the Panthers. 2015, Winston's now the backup for the Saints. Mariota's now the backup for the Raiders. 2016, Goff is now with the Lions. Wentz now with the Colts. Lynch is now out. That's your quarterbacks, 22 of them drafted over a seven-year span, and not one of them five years later is still with the team. Yeah, and the only guys that kind of bucked that trend from prior to 2009 would be the lifers like uh, like uh, Ben Roethlisberger, et cetera. Not even Breeze, because Breeze was originally actually with the Chargers. Brady not even. 
and right. not even Brady because Brady was not even uh, Patriots. So not you know, even you some of those both. lifers, I'd have to go back and look. Roethlisberger was one off the top of my head. I'm guessing there's maybe one or two more at the most. So that's just the turnover. Well, wait a second. Hold on a second here. Wh- when was r- is this stat accurate? Maybe Field is wrong. When was Russell uh, Wilson drafted? He was in the first round draft pick. Oh, that's right. These that's are all right. firsts. First rounders only. There you go. So these are these are your supposed to be your franchise guys. You can so like Brady wouldn't even have fat in that. You know what I mean? Like some of these guys wouldn't have even have qualified because some that's of the true. quarterbacks that or you Breeze. hit with or no, Breeze. Breeze wasn't a first rounder either, so it didn't even matter. All those guys that that like like stay for a while are ones that you don't even really. They're like the diamonds in the rough, you know. And uh, and 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 well, I. Well, I'm not surprised with that stat at all because I've I've said it on this show many many times. Bunch of times. It's 18 percent of first rounders are starters on their team within if you look at it's three years if you look at three years later from any draft it's 18 percent are with their are starters with their team after three years 18 percent that's a really low number that means one out of every five qbs you draft in the first round will not be your starter three years from now and just think about it. Um, I mean, that's like a low batting average, Gino. That's a really low bat to bat. It really is. And you know, think about 180 with your first round draft pick quarterbacks. And we're starting to think think about how much better your hit rate is with drafting anything but a quarterback and even really a running back that high. Because it just feels like there's such a big miss rate there. What's nice is you get a lineman, you get a uh, someone on the defensive end, uh, on the defensive front, you get some like a really nice player somewhere else. And it, and as weird as it says, it, as weird as it sounds, they can always be like a nice piece and competitive, even if they don't live up to that number one, because they can be part of your line. They can be part of your middle of your defense. They can be part of your offensive line. They can be one of your receiving core, even if they're not that number one overall pick that you need. If the quarterback doesn't hit, you're screwed. He can't. Most of the time, you can't just be like, like we said, there's so few situations where the quarterback can just be average and you can win. But think about it. You can have an average offensive line or you can have one of your offensive linemen be average or below average. And still, it's still a nice piece that helps you win. It just is so much more it, we're seeing nowadays with, with you know, a lot of these teams. You can find a running back anywhere off the scrap heap. Bring them in, someone off a practice squad, and they're going to they're going to fit in sort of sort of OK. Um, eh, so I don't know. You know, do you do you need to waste? A, a, not, I don't know about waste, but is it is it worth the risk? Of a, of a high pick, picking a running back or a quarterback even anymore? No, I mean, I, I don't think so, Gino. Uh, whenever, whenever I'm asked, you know, what would you do if you're a GM, my drafts, vast majority of them would be focusing with my first-round draft picks on, on uh, building or improving or investing in the trenches, both sides of the ball, offensive, the defensive line. line. And the only position that I would say I would put a premium on a first rounder. Like if you'd go back and look, and once again, I've looked at all this data so many times, I can't even remember what I remember anymore and what I, what I'm off on. So I might be a little bit, I'm not going to even throw out percentages, but I'm going to tell you this, a very high percentage of the best cornerbacks are found in the first round. You don't hear that often about necessarily great corners coming from the fifth, sixth, seventh round. It happens, but I would say I would invest on on the trenches and on uh, Give me corners. trenches, corners, receivers. If you're, if I'm going to go a sexy p- pick, if you need someone on the offensive as like a playmaker, I think a lot of times the 
big, really good, like a bigger or really nice playmaking receiver. They like most of the time, the big, big receivers that come out are an absolute bust. So if you're going to have to, I, I would, I'd prefer a receiver in the middle to the late of the first round. You know, we see a lot of years where you can get three, four, five wide receivers that can jump in right away and be very impactful. I was actually just going to say, because if somebody came back at us and said, well, hey, what about this guy that was found in a second round or this guy? You get a lot of second round picks for this reason and this reason only, by the way. If you go back and look at the drafts that they were a part of, typically it's because there are maybe eight first round graded wide receivers, Mm -hmm. but six were taken in the first round two spilled over into the second round. And they were first round So really, round they're kind of like first rounders, but for the fact that certain teams maybe needed need another need or mm-hmm. needed another, a defensive player or something like that. But otherwise, he would have been a first rounder if he was in the year before his draft and it was only three or four wide, wide receivers, right? Because, gr- you know, grade is is everything. And that's why a lot of times people say like, oh, you got to steal in the second round. So you'll, that's what you'll typically see. But... Here's the thing. When it comes to quarterbacks, they're, they are aware, there are way more misses than hits when you're talking about these high draft picks. There's so many good ones that are found a little bit later on. You got to wonder, psychologically, is it because they feel less pressure? Is it because once they're a first-round draft pick, they're thrown into the mix earlier? If the same player was taken in round five, would he end up succeeding? But because he was taken in the first round and thrown in prematurely, all these things are fast. All this pressure on I don't you. have an answer yeah. for them, but I suspect that it's maybe a little bit of all those things, right? Because um, I do think it messes you up when you go in too early. I agree. It's 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 the pressure of, of having to be being the franchise guy, or the weight of the world on your shoulders. Everyone thinks you're the savior that's going to come in and uh, and change everything. And some guys are great with it, and and you know what? Some guys are even guys that aren't. Um, or as talented, but like they enjoy that and and they embrace that and th- and then like just the the team needing them, they're able to make plays and guys that may not be as good and then other guys like we said, it's it's a lot. It, the more and more we see with the, I think with I, I think in particular with this like um, generation of of newer players, you know, we're getting ready to take a break and bring in our guest. Um, it's mental, man, so mental. Like you can have all the physical tools in the world, but um, you know if you're mentally fragile or um, if you're not able to deal with losing, getting taken out of the lineup, getting put back in. I don't know if you've just got this like a chip on your shoulder is one thing, but if you've got an unhealthy sense of self worth or ego, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be hard for you to deal a, a lot of the times. And I you know we kind of that kind of like wrapped up our, our conversation here with you know Wentz we'll see mentally is he going to be able to to be the guy that was uh going to be an MVP in 2017 or is he going to be the guy that last year that was causing a lot of problems and um you know all of a sudden the Eagles fire their Super Bowl winning coach and trade a quarterback that helped lead them there and they look like a completely different team and sort of a team in turmoil yeah and uh you know we'll 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 delve into that with our next guest to actually get his take on it uh I will say this I think that he is very fortunate, he being Carson Wentz, to at least be going to an Indianapolis, you know, because I'm envisioning if he went to the Jets and the very first game he threw an INT return to the house, the other direction, he would be done for after week one, right? I think that Wentz is that mentally fragile. If not mentally fragile, at least enough where they would really bother him quite a bit. And I know he was able to withstand Philadelphia. Indianapolis is going to be cakewalk. 
right? I think he could get away with a couple of mistakes early in the year and not get absolutely lit up, uh, at least from mm-hmm. the local media, about something like that. So probably a pretty safe landing spot for Carson Wentz. Anyway, so let's take a first our first commercial break. We'll come back and we'll talk to Pop, the primetime handicapper, right after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. We have our first guest here on the line. Mike, why don't you uh, welcome him in? Yeah, we're going to be talking to the prime time handicapper, very, very, very good handicapper of horse racing and baseball and football and all the major sporting events. Great at talking about it. Host of a radio show, Pop. What is the good word, my man? You're on with Mike and Gino. Hey, how we doing? What's going on? I It's an absolute blessing. Thank you guys for having me on today. It's your boy, the one and only Pop. The primetime capper. And man, oh man, it's, it's good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. Can't wait to talk to you guys about this uh, winch trade and Whatever else we're going to talk about. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm man. Let's get, yeah. let's get right to it, man, because I know that you don't waste time. You get delved right into it. Carson Wentz, you and I just talked about him yesterday. We were talking about both not being super high on him. Seems like a pretty safe landing spot with the Colts reunited with his old coach. What are your first impressions? What What did you think when you first saw the breaking news that he is going to the Indianapolis Colts? That the Eagles catered to him uh, exactly the way that I felt that they would. I think that they actually had have uh, some love for Carson Wentz in a sense because they sent him exactly to where he wanted to go. Because, you know, um, other quarterbacks don't get that same type of, you know, feel unless they're actually a lead quarterback, say, so like Tom and Peyton 
But Carson Wentz was able to be handed over to, you know, his old offensive coordinator. But as I said on my show today, uh, they, the Eagles just said, okay, we're going to throw away the coach and let's go ahead and throw away the quarterback too and start this whole thing all over again. And we'll send this quarterback on over to our good friend here in Indianapolis so then we can help him somewhat save his career. You know what I mean? Because if he, if he was going to play for the Eagles again, it would have been an issue probably in the next two years or so, he would have been, you know, being a backup somewhere on a some some type of top tier team. But this saves him for another two, three seasons, in my estimate. I think they're going to actually give him a shot this year. And if it doesn't work out the way that it's supposed to work out, then that's when we start thinking about the rookie. You know, that's when we start going in there and start thinking about the uh, quarterback and everything like that. But I don't think he's going to have any problems helping this team get to the playoffs because they got such a great running game with Franklin right now and Hines and all those guys that they're able to keep Hines around. And that will be able to carry Carson Wentz in a sense as well, too. But uh, a lot of people are jumping over the ledge right now saying that he should probably get back to his 2017 form. But this is a shaking quarterback, though. But this is a better situation because now he's playing in a division that's a little bit that's a little bit more easier to navigate with. You know what I mean? You got the Jacksonville Jaguars, they're they're on a team on a rebuild. You got Houston who's on a rebuild. So your only competition really at the end of the day is the the Titans. And the Titans are always a question mark going into every season anyway. So pretty much he's been given a, a golden situation to get himself back into the game and everything like that. But I truly do think that the Eagles did him a great service even though they didn't have to. Like, you know, the way that he de- demanded the trade, I'd have been like, man, send him to Washington. <laughs> send, him to, <laughs> send him to Jacksonville. You know what I mean? What are you talking about? You know, send him there. You know, that's you a really interesting I mean? but, point that you make. And I don't know how many people have been hitting on that. I have not had a chance to listen to any of the local or national media talking about this trade up until this point. Uh, that That's a very interesting, seems to me like it would be a kind of a unique point. But what about the flip side? Does this mean that the Eagles are committed to Jalen Hurts, or is this uh, going to be something where they're going to use a draft pick on him anyways, and then you know have a quarterback competition and see you know who wins out? This is what I finished my uh, segment with on my show earlier. This is what I said. This is if I'm the Eagles GM, I just traded my star quarterback that you know I invested so highly in. I said I, I gave him the starting job without even watching them in preseason. And you know what? He, he took over the city for a year. Boom, bam. I thought he was going to be the future, so then I over-invested in him a little bit. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to try to get back this second, third-round pick. And I think what the Eagles are going to do is they're, they're putting it together to where they can put a package together to possibly move up in the draft and say, you know what, snatch Justin Fields, who looks like he's about to drop. It, I, 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 you can't guarantee the Jets. No Lions no, anymore because golf is there. And then when you really look at it, who really wants to take the shot on him because they're looking at it, this is, the, this is the negative that they have on him. Oh, he's an Ohio State quarterback. No, this guy is a prodigy. This guy is something that's different. Ohio State has never had a quarterback like that before because Ohio State's built in a certain, in a certain way. they got a 6'1", 6'5", 5'11", quarterback that can run as well too and uh, you know be real deceptive. No. This kid, Justin Fields, is a NFL quarterback, and the Eagles could possibly go up there and shake things up a little bit and make a move to get Justin Fields. I think that they are going to be hunting for a top quarterback come in the first round this year. I think they're going to use Hurts more as a 
emergency quarterback in a sense, a guy that can help them get some wins if the starter does get hurt, and be somewhat maybe a slash player. You bring Jalen in there to get, get you a quick 30-yard run or get Jalen in there to run a quick screen pass for you real quick, something of that nature. I know it's taken away from his quarterback leadership skills or whatever, but I think that's how he can execute and be his actual and really be able to be at his absolute best, in my opinion, because he did not impress me as the starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. It's just that everybody was fed up with wins at that point. <laughs> you know, he was the new flavor of the week. He got a good win over the Giants, who were absolutely dreadful this season. So pretty much at the end of the day, or was that the Redskins that he got that big win over that um, at the end of the year? But regardless well, of I think, whoever, I think they, I think the Eagles, uh, most of the division, I think kind of – had each other one another on their schedule in December. So I think, I think they all right. kind of played each other and all kind of blends together in terms of a pile of crap playing a pile of crap. Right. I mean, those, it was a dreadful division and, uh, well, it was the, some, the game that they won the big game at the end of the year was the saints. That was the game where he right. played well, right. and they beat the saints, but then they lost their last three games to end the year. And I sort of agree with you. It's uh, with, with someone like Jalen, it was like, you kind of catch lightning in a bottle with someone like that for a few games, for a few plays. But then once there's right. film on you, once everybody's to study you for a couple weeks, able to study you for a few weeks, they're able to really, okay, now we're going to make you make a difficult throw to beat us instead of uh, just like hitting an open guy, moving your legs a little bit. I agree. I didn't get the feeling that he could be your guy every single week out there. But you know what, guys? You guys, look, everything you guys are both saying, I completely agree with. But you know... This is Philadelphia, and you know the best way to ruin a quarterback in Philadelphia is to bring somebody else in after somebody else just had recent success, right? I mean, look what it did to Wentz when when Knowles had success. The minute that Wentz started sucking, the fans all wanted Foles back. I called him Knowles a second ago. I meant Foles. Combined Well, they wanted Foles back, right? I mean, so that's that's the only thing. You bring in somebody else, they're going to be calling for Hurts. It's it's a no-win situation in Philadelphia, guys. I agree, and you know, and I just and you don't want to see one of these good young because this is a good quarterback group. It's not just about Justin Fields and uh, Trevor Lawrence. Trey Lance is a hell of a player. The kid from BYU, that kid can play too. And you know, pretty much they you have options here. You know what I mean? Last year, I think it was kind of a force. I think we already had a good idea uh, who the best quarterback in the draft really was, and. We all knew Justin Herbert pretty much was the best pro prospect because he's a Pac-12 guy. I'm a little biased because I'm a West Coast kid. So, you know, I always feel like the Pac-12 quarterback <laughs> can be a starter in the NFL if, 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 if need be, if you have a top Pac-12 quarterback. So pretty much when you look at that situation right there, you tell yourself that you hope that the Eagles play this thing correctly, but it looks like if they give Hurts the shot, it's gonna. They're gonna have to bring in a good backup. So that means okay, we won't invest in the quarterback in the first round, but we'll have to invest in the quarterback, say in the second, third, fourth round, and maybe go get a guy that maybe stuck around uh, for five, six years, like a like a Jeff Driscoll type, something of that nature, to be right there for you when um, well, pretty much when Hurts is uh, you know once he's all used up because he he plays a very dangerous style. And he's very uh, small as well, too. You know what I mean? And I, and I know that's what excites everybody, the run element. But at the end of the day, though, the, he's not as good as Lamar Jackson. You know what I mean? Lamar Jackson can get away with it. He's out there playing playground football. 
But the thing is, Lamar gets you touchdowns. What I saw what Hurts was doing, Hurts gets you field goals. It's a big difference. It seemed like he was he was getting bottled up when we got over to the goal line. You know what I mean? So pretty much, I really do feel like the Eagles have to really make the move right now. They got to kind of they got to gamble a little bit here. And you know what? They they and you know what? At some point, you tell the fans, you know what? We ain't worried about what you're talking about. We're gonna go up in here. We're gonna make this happen. We're gonna do, we're gonna make this deal happen. We're gonna move up into the top five of the draft. We're gonna get us one of these top quarterbacks, and we're gonna go ahead and let our brand new head coach go ahead and have himself a brand new quarterback right here. And then you can keep Hurts around as your emergency, you know, guy who can do everything. That's awesome on on that situation. But I think Hurts. But there's a possibility Hurts could be in there because I think that they see the run element as something that can be fairly helpful for their team and help them move a little bit faster and be a good team in a still bad NFC East. The NFC East isn't going to improve unless the Cowboys come back and they become what we all expected out the Cowboys. And then maybe everybody else might step it up a little bit. But other than that, you know, pretty much when you look at that division, it seems like it should be the Cowboys for the taking, but – you know, the Eagles will always play a part in this, man, because they still got a really, really good roster, except for at the quarterback position. So what does this mean then in terms of the quarterback domino? Which direction do the dominoes now start falling? What kind of ripple effect, if any, is this going to have? You know, um, I personally thought that Deshaun Watson would have been a great fit in Indianapolis going to a division rival team that he knows well, a team that knows him well, a oh, team they would that would really use right? him. You don't think they would? I mean, I can't imagine Houston would have done that. They, well, you they, know, what we've seen, though, in recent years is uh, less less of a, what's the word? A concern. Less a reluctance, worry. I guess, to yeah, de- dealing I to agree. a division rival. I've seen that kind of in all the sports, really. I mean, even the Yankees and Red Sox are making moves <laughs> with each other, and, and that's never happened before. I mean, that's not something you'd normally see. I think you're seeing less of a – I mean, you'll see teams now uh, – typically it's not for a quarterback, I agree, but um, yeah, I if think that's helps the their team in terms of getting number one draft picks, if it's the best situation for them, I think they do it. Uh, but, you know, Imagine it depends on the GM, and, and maybe you're right. Let's just say that was never, ever going to happen. Which direction for the, next the dominoes years. now fall for him <laughs> and for any of the other guys that are available and any of the other teams that need quarterbacks? What say I you, Bob? Okay, from what I'm seeing here, I think that um, pretty much when you look at the, the quarterback landscape, like you said on my show yesterday, there's 16 teams with a quarterback situation right now in the NFL. And the Eagles are in that group. The Colts check themselves off temporarily for the moment. Hopefully they'll keep Jacoby Brissett around for that emergency Nick Foles type situation when they need a quarterback to step in just in case this guy loses his confidence again. You know what I mean? Because that's how I felt what happened with him at the latter end of last year, and that's why the coach pulled him is because he lost his confidence. But they're trying to see that as a reboost to his career. But I could see a lot of I could see some more movement happening as we get closer to the draft. Like I would like to really see. Like I would honestly like to see Atlanta figure out a way to get back Ryan off the roster, just so they can start anew, and so he can start anew or just walk on down the road because he's not a bad quarterback. But I just think that their their road has ended. You know what I mean? They got a new coach coming in and uh, new, new ideals and everything like that. 
And you know Julio still owed a lot of money, but you know what? He's not even the best receiver on the team anymore. Because, you know, the kid from Alabama, I know a lot of people think, think I sound crazy right now, but Riley is about to take over as the best receiver on a, on Atlanta. And, you know, pretty much you can see that the wear and tear is starting to happen with Julio a lot because I think he only played maybe about 10, 11 games a season, and every single game he's hurt. So pretty much I would like to see some moves get made. And I think that since he's from Philadelphia, why, would you think that maybe they would maybe call up uh, uh, see if they would maybe be able to make a deal with Atlanta to bring Matt Ryan to um, Philadelphia in a sense to where they can have a stopgap quarterback so then they can have a true veteran playing, uh, you know, uh, tutoring Hurts in a sense if they feel Hurts could be their future quarterback and give them at least a year or two a shot at at least getting the position, you know what I mean? But I would love for a guy like Matt Ryan to come in and be your tutor. And he's from the city of Philadelphia as well, too. And it makes a lot of sense, in my opinion. And I think that, you know, the the uh, Falcons would love to pick up a second, uh, fourth-round pick. You know, I know they could get themselves two or three picks in a Matt Ryan deal, to be honest with you. So what are you guys thinking about that? Well, I mean, I'll tell you what. I don't know how Gina feels about this, but look, you have half half the league needs a quarterback upgrade or entirely a new quarterback. Okay. So how many are you going to be able to obtain through the draft? Three, four, maybe. I mean, I'd be shocked if four rookie quarterbacks could start in 2021. So maybe two and a half. (laughs) There's no such thing as a half. So let's say two quarterbacks are starting at the most in week one and maybe two more by mid-year. And that's if everything goes well and they learn the playbook and they're doing well and all that stuff, right? So that still leaves us with about 10 teams or so that need a quarterback. So if Matt Ryan is expendable, I absolutely think that Philadelphia would be a great fit. And he, you know, like you mentioned, he's from the area. He played his college ball at Boston College. He's used to playing in that chillier kind of northeastern weather anyways, even though he's been, you know, in a dome for a long time. I think he'd be somebody that could, you know, perform well. I think his road splits are actually pretty decent for a road for a dome quarterback uh, out of all the dome type quarterbacks. I think he's probably one of the better ones on the road. And so I think it would be a, a good move. I have no idea if what direction that Atlanta wants to go with this thing. Um, I haven't really followed up on the Falcons rumor mill. I don't know if they're going to be sticking with him or, or going a different direction. I mean, the he's a good franchise was- quarterback. He's led you to a Super Bowl. He's made the Falcons kind of relevant for a long time. Um, you know, I don't know. I just also know that sometimes when you have a new head coach that comes in, they want to have uh, a brand new imprint on their organization, and they want to win with their guys. That offensive so, line. I, I, what do you think, Gino? Yeah, the offensive line is if they can get an uh, improvement in the offensive line, then I think Matt Ryan would be a great fit. That was one of the problems for Wentz. And sort of one of the reasons why Hertz at least was able to be a little more successful than Wentz, because at least he could move and get out of the pocket when it just there was no pocket a lot of the time. They just get out and move and pick up a few yards when um, when the offensive line was beat. Wentz wasn't really able to do that as much. He was holding on to the ball too long and taking sack after sack after sack. I don't know if Matt Ryan would be able to move around all that great unless they got a alignment or two and shirt up that offensive line and we we saw last year how much a team can go from having a bad line to a really good line in just one offseason with what the browns did 
That's a great point. Right. That's right. a great point. I think. Right. Well, but, but that's the case really for just about any quarterback. I would say uh, that's coming into Philadelphia. If they don't improve that mm-hmm. offensive line, you know, whoever it is that they're going to get, whether it be from the draft or free agent or 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 hurts himself, you know, um, is going to be running for his life the whole time. That's definitely an area that they're going to need to address. A lot of holes there in Philadelphia. And it's probably why the whole division was like a four, five, six win team. You know, the division as a whole needs to uh, figure a lot of things out. So that's what makes NFL offseason the most off, most interesting and exciting offseason in all of sports. Hey, Pop, we got a commercial break. Are you able to hang on with us for a few more minutes, talk a little baseball? Oh, no, no doubt. I can go ahead and do that. All right, everyone. We're talking to Pop Di... Di-, Di- uh, I butchered that last name. DiBiase. DiBiase, baby. It's the million-dollar man. It's the... It's almost like a tongue twister to me, but a lot of things have been lately, too, so it means my head is not on straight. The prime time handicapper. That's all you guys need to know. Look up Pop, the prime time handicapper. This is the man... He's the one that delivers the goods year-round. Stay with us, everyone. We'll be back for more pop right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel find out what's happening on the voice america talk radio network by keeping up with us on twitter you can find us at voice america trn streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at the Show.com. Now, back to this week's program. Closing segment here on the Mike Abadir Show. We're going we're gonna to shift from football to baseball, right, Mike? Yeah, we were uh, during the uh, break. We were talking about the big signing for the uh, Padres. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. gets the dough. A huge deal. It's uh, Mookie Betts esque uh, in terms of uh, you know being one of these monster type megastar superstar type deals. I know you've got some feelings on it um, that we were mentioning before the first break pop. Uh, I, I want to say this. I have a lot of respect for the Padres 
because they're going about things very differently from a contractual perspective than most other teams. I know there was a little bit of talk about this last year. Let me contrast that with the Cubs as an example. And I'm not saying one organization is right or one organization is wrong, but the Cubs historically have been the team where you could bring up a Chris Bryant for opening day, but you don't. And you don't because you could extend out the, t- the time that it will you'll have control over the player by bringing him after May 1st. So if you got a rookie, you're intentionally not going to play him until you get into the games in May because you could control him contractually a little bit longer. Cubs have been doing that. Many teams around the league have been doing that. The Padres have bucked the trend. They got somebody ready. They're going to bring him in right away. Not just that they're bringing him in right away, but now they're rewarding him extra early. When have you guys seen somebody who's been in the league as little as Tatis? Uh, what do you say, Pop? I mean, this is this is uh, kind of uncharted waters in MLB. Right, and I'm so happy the Dodgers didn't do that with Puig because that's who I love Tatis, but his energy is the same type of energy. If you're a Dodger fan, you know you have that. We they had that same type of energy with Puig. It was great. It was fun. It was it it, it 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 rejuvenated the franchise. You know what I mean. But the Dodgers knew. But you know he was a different case. And pretty much the Dodgers knew. Okay, we kind of got him on a cheap. We got him on a forty-two million dollar deal. You know, and it was I guess what seven years at the time. And uh, pretty much they got him on that good deal. And um, you know they they pretty much were able to have the leverage there. And then you know when they were done with him, they went ahead and made a good trade. And I think what's happening right now is they want to lock down Tatis right now because he is more than just a player for them. He's going to bring the Tony Gwynn effect where he's going to be putting butts in the seats because he's their most popular player. Everybody wants to get a piece of Tatis. They want to watch him on a daily basis. And he's going to be helpful in that category as well, too. And he's also going to be a face for the rest of baseball for a smaller market in San Diego, and this will bring even more, you know, free agents, you know, even more looks from free agents, and even have them making even better deals when it comes down to the trade deadline and everything like that because they have assets in the farm system right now. But the, this thing is, to me right now is an arms race to keep up with the Dodgers. Seriously. Okay, you go get your lockout Machado. I still think that the Machado deal was overzealous unneeded. You didn't need to pay him that much money because he's not worth that much money, in my opinion. Man, he's a great player. But Tatis, to me, he's worth it because he's going to keep bringing butts into the seats. And you want to have this guy for a whole decade because as long as you got have him happy now, then everything should be good. But if San Diego has a point to where they're falling off or something of that nature, they have to prepare themselves to be ready to maybe move that big asset, that big contract Sometime down the road, I know it's going to take years for that to happen, but they, I think that they're saying that we're going to probably get the best Fernando Tatis period. Let's lock him down, and then we still have the leverage at the end of the day to move him when we feel like we don't really need him anymore. Even though it's a big deal, then they can move that big, they can move that big money elsewhere, or they will have to be like Frank McCord them and keep paying the contract. But they made themselves a good deal with him to where they didn't have to overspend. Because when you look at it, it's twenty by twenty million dollars a year. And I think that he will probably and your agent, you know, this that he'll probably receive most of the money on the front end 
and the back end money will be more of a, you know, pretty much it, it'll get lesser and lesser as the years go because I saw an article, and I know you guys should remember this one as well too, when they had the contracts, and they called this three years ago, where contracts were going to get longer, but the money was going to get shorter as the contract progresses. The money's going to be there in the front end, but on the back end, it might, it, it, it's going to be, it's, it's not going to affect the uh, club so much. And um, I saw that with the Houston Astros, actually. And the player that they signed to this long contract, he wasn't even a part of the Super Astros. But guys like Springer and Little Buddy, were they were all there at that point in time, too. And Houston was the one that said, okay, you sign them early like this, give them a big, 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 big contract, and then you got that leverage with them later on down the road. So I really, truly do feel like it's an arms war, but this wasn't a checkmate move by the uh, Padres. This was a, a security move. This was to make sure that Petco Park has 80% attendance uh, nightly because they're going to have for they're going to keep advertising Fernando Tati. That's it, and that's a, that's how I feel about that, fellas. Uh, that's that's a very interesting point. You know, I think it's it's uh it's one of those things where. You know, you're doing the player right right now. And like you said, trying to have a little bit of leverage. I have not examined that contract, so I can't really get into the details uh, strategically. But uh, what I do know is that they shelled out the dough probably earlier than they had to. And generally speaking, when a team does that, there's probably a strategic reason why they're doing it. I'll so, tell you, as a Dodger fan, it, it, it scares, it makes me nervous. I don't like playing against the guy, and what um, it's kind of funny because between him and Machado, the two one, the two like sort of faces of their uh, you know their everyday lineup now, could, they they don't really seem like they could be more different from a like a, an attitude sort of way they play the game. They're both just incredibly talented. Machado's more of a like he I don't know he dog he'll dog it a little bit. You know he's not going to run every 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 uh, ball out, or he's not going to necessarily dive after everything. Tatis is the complete opposite. Like he's the guy, just like you were saying, uh, pa, I just agree that like you completely want to lock this guy down because he's a guy that will make the rest. Of, he reminds me a little bit more of Mookie, like the way he plays and the way he plays hard and he takes every bat really seriously. And he's going to try to get every, like he's going to try to take advantage and, and never give away an out and always steal a bag in between. Like he is the, the type of guy that every team needs a guy that's an energy guy, especially in a long kind of sometimes a boring baseball season. You need guys like that in the middle on like a random Wednesday day game where everyone's sleepy to go steal a bag and get everybody pumped. Totally agree right. with you. You, know, you need to have like every team has to have that guy on the roster that you, you go to the ballpark, uh, like pop saying, wanting to fill those seats where you're like, you don't know what he's going to do. But he, you know, he's going to do something special, and that's why I think the Mookie analogy is a really good one. I felt that about Mookie for a long time when he played for Boston, and now with the Dodgers, I will stop what I'm doing to see his at bats, see him on base, and to see what he does in the outfield. And there's not a lot of guys that you could say that about. I think Tatis is that type of guy where, you, you know, regardless of what he's doing. You want to see what he's going to do next. You want to look at the box score at the end of the game because you're going to see something impressive. But visually, you're also going to want to see what he's doing on, on the television screen as well as in person. I'll tell you what, though, guys. 
how long ago does it seem where Machado and Bryce Harper were the two best players in baseball getting preparing for free agency and those monster deals? Seems like a long time ago to me for some reason. It just tells you yeah. though how many really good players that MLB has been pumping out in each and every single year to now we got a lot of really, really young superstars. And I'd love to talk about that. That'd probably be another full episode, but I want to close really quickly by talking about some over-unders in baseball for a quick second, because the William Hill uh, numbers have come in and the Dodgers have the highest over-under win total of any team this millennial millennium. The, since the New York Yankees in 1999, nobody mm-hmm. in the 20, what, what century were we in that? 21st century, right? Uh, in the 21st century has had a win total of 104 and a half. 104 and a half is the over under. And I'm inclined, I'm inclined to say mm-hmm. over. Uh, we could talk about that for a second, but I know you're interested, Pop, in a, in a, maybe half that win total almost uh, a team on the other end of the spectrum where you find some value as well. So maybe quick thoughts on both before we have to wrap things up in about two minutes here. Okay. Real quick with the Dodgers, one Oh four and a half. William Hill is really trying to make sure that they get a lot of under betters because I got one Oh three and a half over at the Westgate. I like one Oh three and a half more than one Oh four and a half. To be honest with you, because I know <laughs> that's that true. It's, it's a 154 game season. I think we can get to one. I think the Dodgers can lose 50 games, but that's actually having the greatest, having a great season because that would estimate if it was a full season to damn near being you. You would be breaking the the most wins record if that was to occur. Is that confirmed? So by would, the way, are we confirmed at 154, not 162, or is that still? Uh, I'm still waiting, but I thought it was going to be 154. But you, okay. But I'm gonna. But we, we still. I, I thought it was going to be 154. But if it's 162, then okay, that's different because I think that can be done in a 162 season. But damn, 104 and a half. That's a lot of games to win. You know what I mean? First, the Dodgers got to win the division because now you got they got company. You know, the Diamondbacks are, are, are being slept on, but they got a little bit of. A little bit of pop going on over there as well, too. And then you have, um, you also have the Padres, who are sitting out here being the main No, no doubt about it. Hey, Pop, I'm going to have to interrupt you because we got a show close coming up. Really quickly, who's the long shot that you like for an over-under? Over-under. Uh, you were right before you came on my show yesterday. I like the Orioles to go over 66 and a half games this year. Nice. I like uh, I like Tinder. Very, very good hitter. And I think John Means is going to probably have a career year this year as well, too. It's all about the bullpen, but I think that they're going to be a pesky bunch. And I really do like the Orioles over 66 and a half. I like it. Thank you so much, Pop. Sorry we got to rush you, but that's all the time we have for this show. Thank you for listening, everyone. Hopefully Gino's voice gets better. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.